Our guest today, everyone out there, bridges spirit to matter. Judith Diana Winston is a visionary artist and writer. She has worked in the field of photography for over 20 years. She attended the Detroit Institute of Art and the Cranbrook Academy, Bloomfield Hills, Michigan. She has a bachelor's of arts degree in communication from the University of Miami and has studied photography at the San Francisco Academy of Art College and the San Francisco Art Institute. She has worked in the movie industry and as a fashion photographer for such clients as Victoria's Secret and Macy's. You are now listening to the International Taz and Paula Show, and I'm Paula. And I'm Taz. Wow, what a creative journey Judith Diana has brought to life for herself. She actually says, as she reflects on her work at this point, going all the way back to the late 70s, she she sees it all as basically spiritual or shamanic in nature, and that her purpose has always been to change and elevate consciousness and to work toward healing. It has just become more obvious in her current choice of subject matter. In the 1980s, Judith Diana moved from San Francisco to Los Angeles, thinking to expand her career as a fashion photographer. However, life seemed to have other plans for her. Through a series of unexpected events, she soon found herself in Egypt studying with a well-known author, teacher, and trans medium. A year and a half later, she returned to Egypt as his staff photographer. And following this fateful second journey, a story began tugging at her sleeve, and she ended up writing this book that we'll be talking about today, The Keeper of the Diary. It's so exciting to have you back. And a little birdie told me that you like to be called Diana. Is that true? That's true. I do. Yes. Okay, Diana. I can't help but um, question that um, part of you is actually the character in this book because she's a photographer also, the main character. And did you write this book from your own experiences? Well, a lot of it was from my own experiences, Um, sort of the, we could say, the general scope of the book. And what wasn't actually based on my experience sort of came to me naturally as a part of those experiences, if that makes sense. Um, So, yes, the main character in many ways is based on me and in a few ways is more than me. So when you came back from... Go ahead. No, go ahead. I'm here. Paula. I'm having a little trouble hearing... uh, Is that Taz? Taz? Yes. Yeah, I'm having a little trouble hearing her. Okay, can you hear me better? Oh, yes. Not really, but okay. I'll listen harder. Oh. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Uh, okay. What's the name of your book? It's called The Keeper of the Diary. The Keeper. And, and do you um, want to give us a little bit of a synopsis of the book so that the listeners out there kind of know what it's all about without giving uh, away the whole story? Okay, <laughs> okay. So it's about a woman photographer who, under some duress in her life, accepts an assignment uh, in Egypt to be a photographer for a group of people who are traveling, a group, a spiritual group, that's traveling through the Middle East. And 
Egypt, Jordan, Israel, and Greece. And at the time, she is somebody who is not on a spiritual path at all and really only takes the job, the assignment, because she needs the money. Um, And when she's there, the second day of the trip, this diary mysteriously turns up in her camera case, which sort of throws her off. And she doesn't really know what to do with it, but she's curious, so she starts to read it. And as she reads it, it's very sort of shocking to her way of thinking about things and a big challenge, but it's so fascinating that she can't put it down. Um, And she ends up, sort of long story short, the diary refers, the diary, the content of the diary actually goes all the way back to the time of Atlantis and even further. And she gets pulled into the story as she's traveling with this group through the Middle East And by the time she finishes the book and comes back to the U.S., she's a changed person, both by the trip itself and by the contents of the diary. But she can't help but wonder, because some of the things in the diary seem so extremely far-fetched to her, could this actually be true? And this begins to haunt her. And when she had been in Egypt, she had tried to give the diary back to the person she thought might have put it in her camera case, but it becomes impossible due to the scheduling of the group she's traveling with. So once she's back in the U.S., she decides to, but she feels compelled to hunt down the person who actually was the writer of the diary, um, who is a young man named David. We don't, we know some things about him. I'm not going to talk a lot about that. But he's been found in the in the, um, the Egyptian desert suffering from amnesia, and he keeps the diary to remember who he is. And then, of course, it goes back to a past lifetime in Atlantis. So here she is back in the U.S., and she decides, because of some of the things in the in the diary, that the, the owner must need it. She feels very concerned that uh, he not he doesn't have it. So she embarks on this journey going to some of the places, which are many of the Earth's most ancient and sacred sites. She goes to try and see if she can find him or at least find out if the diary is true. And in the process, she becomes even more of a changed person. She learns some things about herself that she never knew and discovers that she herself has a mission in this life. And I think that's all I want to tell. She meets a lot of interesting characters along the way that are pretty organic and give her, it's like a giant puzzle trying to figure out if the diary is true, why did the diary come to her, who is this person who wrote it and 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 why does she feel a sort of a familiarity with him and so different people kind of show up on her journey through England, Scotland, uh she goes all the way to Easter Island and Peru and Bolivia and they kind of give her pieces of this puzzle which all draws to a very uh, kind of exciting climax which I don't want to talk about <laughs> cuz I don't want to give that away so, okay, I don't know if this did she end up finding out that she had a past life with him or past lives with him? Well, I don't think I want to go into that because that's okay. those kinds of questions really become a part of what she's exactly. unraveling, whether she is or he isn't, or you know, and grappling with those things. How was this book? Um, how was it stimulated for you to? to actually write it and was there any particular aspect in your life that that opened the doors to write this one 
Well, there there were a few, and one was the person that I call David in the book, the keeper of the diary. Um, I actually found out some things about a certain this a young man, a young Israeli man that had this particular destiny and had a very interesting past. And I never met him, but I heard stories about him through the teacher that I was traveling with. And I became kind of fascinated in his story. And I I did do some research to find out there's a certain part of it. Again, I I like to be careful because there's so much... The story, when when someone reads it, it's such an unraveling. It's like they're going on the same journey that the main character, the photographer, Cassie, is going on. So I don't want to give too much away. But it was his story combined with just my my experiences in Egypt, which were really profound and changed my life, that I think was exactly why this little tug was going on with me when I came back. It's like somehow... I had to create this into a story, and I wasn't really sure how I was going to do it. How did it change your life? Well, I came back, and and, uh, before I left, I, you know, was still trying to reestablish myself in the Los Angeles area as a fashion photographer and was having some problems with that. I found that when I came back, it just didn't interest me anymore. I was much more interested in, well, I became very fascinated by these ancient sacred sites around the planet, you know, that have the stone sites. So I had experienced the pyramids, and I, I wanted to experience some of these other places. And I felt that they, I became fascinated, like, with the history of the human race, like those big questions, why are we here, where did we come from, uh, you know, what's, what's the real history and I began to read a lot of what I call rogue archaeological texts. In other words, the things that were very different from the standard story of how old is Egypt and how old is the pyramids and things like that. So I became fascinated by that and, and fascinated like these places were spiritual. So what did that mean? What were they used for? What made them spiritual? What People talk about the energy of these places. I wanted to experience that. So my life really became about my spiritual quest. And it still is, (laughs) all these many years later. So in retrospect, did you find your mission in life, or are you still finding it? Well, I'd say I found it, and it's still being revealed. Writing this book was definitely my mission in life. <laughs> it turns out to be almost a 500-page book. And um, I, I started it literally 25 years ago. It was put down, picked up, different things happened. It almost got published a few times. but And there were many times I really put it on the shelf and thought, okay, this isn't happening, you know, I'm crazy to to be sticking with this. But something would always make me, I, I felt like I I had made a promise. And that promise had to do with finishing this book and getting it out into the world. And I find that it's very interesting that it would come out at this period of time when we're going through this major shift in consciousness because this book really speaks to that 
and I think that's been a big part of my mission with creating the book with the with the the materials that are in it and the driving the driving what would I say um not the ideas. So it's an exciting adventure story on a number of levels, but it's very idea-driven. And one of the biggest ideas, or one of the biggest things that it goes into is our ability as humans, our biggest ability of everything we have is our ability to choose. And somebody once said, what good is choice if we don't know we have it? So it became really important for me to punch that up in the book, to realize it in my own life, and have that be a part of what I take out into the world as I begin to talk about the book and about my experiences. So I would say I'm on my mission. I mean, I did a part of my mission, but I'm still on it. Uh, It's interesting that uh, the uh, guest that we had on just before you is a part of the film Choice Point, and that's exactly where you're at in your life. So it's yeah, so I think it's, that we had, that's we had great. I love that. <laughs> that's great. Well, I think so, it's so important, you know, because so much goes on and we can get so overwhelmed and feel like we have no power. And we may not have power about the things that are going on around us in order to, you know, immediately change that, but we do have a choice in how we respond. And for me, that's really important. When you put your book up on the shelf and then you brought it back down again um, and probably reread it, did it feel as though somebody else wrote it? That's a good question. Um, Parts of it, for sure. Because I would put it up on the shelf in a certain level of frustration. It wasn't being accepted. It wasn't going out into the world. It wasn't really that I was having trouble writing it, uh, although it did change over the years, and I'm I'm actually very grateful I had those years for it to go through the evolution that it did. But I think what was most amazing to me is when I would I would put it away and kind of you know all this frustration, and then when I would take it down again, I would read it and go, wow, <laughs> I have to go back and 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 finish this. This is such an amazing story. So there was that aspect of feeling like I I didn't write it because after a period of time it all felt fresh and new. You have traveled so much. You have have traveled, really, um, journeys. And for talk that you have pulled up, a lot of them were, um, a lot of the, the monuments were from Peru, Bolivia, Egypt, um, uh, Easter Island in Chile and England, Stonehenge. How is there any way to compare any of these monuments in your mind to those that you that we're talking about today in in Egypt? Um, I'm not sure when you mean that we're talking about today in Egypt. What not? Well, what you, the correlation, the correlation of all of the monuments that you took. Um, is there any correlation in your mind between these um, 
as far as who put them together or maybe or and or how in vibration how they they varied or or any kind of comparisons okay i get where you're going um yeah for sure first thing i would say is that i believe that all of them you know served a purpose you, you i think you read in my little bio something about bridging heaven to earth and really on a certain level that's what all of these were about they were located at very strategic points around the planet where on the planet the planet has this like crystalline energy grid and it certain things happen at different points on the grid there are places where lines will intersect or cross each other and when that happens those are usually very potent places on the earth and one of the purposes of these these monuments these these stone sites was to mark out in stone and and the stones that were used in in Egypt or in in Peru especially Peru and Bolivia which is all mountains they were brought from very far away, and we'll, that's a whole other conversation about how they got there. But certain types of stone were used because they had the capacity to hold energy, and they had the capacity, we could call it, to take in in different um, astronomical events like full moons or you know different things that were different alignments in the heavens. They could take that energy and literally pull it in, and and put it into the planetary grid. So they were actually bridging the energies of of the, the heavens, the skies, the, the stars, the you know, all the activity up there and bringing those frequencies and grounding them into the earth into, you know, because of course our planet is connected to everything that's up there and we're all interconnected. And then it would take that energy and at different seasons, at different times, it would flow along the planetary grid and was a way of keeping the planet healthy uh, and alive, just like the acupuncture meridians on our own bodies. When we get an acupuncture session and needles are put in, that takes in grounds energy and opens up the doorways for that energy to move correctly. And I would say that the different sites, so that's how they're the same is that their purpose, their major purpose, and the fact that they, places that they're located was picked very, very carefully, I believe. There's no, wasn't just, let's just put up a stone site here because it's a nice place. It was like a knowledge about our planet and about energy and about the heavens and astronomy and astrology and bringing all of that together in placing these and then I, different. Then we go to the next level, which is, I believe, that different of the sites had different purposes. And, of course, the most profound in many ways um, is the pyramids at Giza uh, because they're built according to sacred geometry, the way that they're angled. There's so much going on there. They were, you know, I believe, very much able to hold energy and were originally used, at least the Great Pyramid, and the sarcophagus as a as an initiation chamber for a whole line, a whole level of priests that probably predates everything we know about Egypt and is more related to Atlantis. 
I know that's a long answer, but did I answer your question? Yes, uh, you did really well. I'm thinking, what about the stones? Did you see any comparison in the stones or, or, you know, the the rocks that were used uh, from place to place that you visited? Well, a lot of them seem to have a high level of of, uh, silica, which means quartz crystal. And we know everything that we know or you know about crystals and and their ability again to be impregnated with energy so i would say there was some similarity with that and one of the most interesting to me even more interesting than because i don't i'm not a geologist and i don't really know that much about all the different types of stone that were used at different places but i know that they were chosen very very carefully but what was interesting to me in places like in Peru or in the Great Pyramid uh, or other places in Egypt where blocks of stone were used, these stones, they're huge, many megatons. They're cut so precisely, like in Egypt and in the places I saw in Peru and Bolivia, these stones, there's no mortar holding them together. They were cut so perfectly that they fit together like the pieces of a jigsaw puzzle which goes back to this idea of, you know, perhaps Atlantis being a pre-culture that influenced all of these cultures and is related to how these stone sites were created. Did you feel more at home in Egypt? I mean, did you feel like you'd been there before more than any of the other ancient places? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I did. Yes, Egypt. Like it. It really resonated for me. It sounded to me like, after you, especially after your second journey there, that it really opened you up so that you were able to write this this book. It did. It took me. I, I never had planned to be a writer. Um, I had been told in various kinds of readings, oh, you'll be a writer, but I thought, I guess I could, but I don't really have anything to write about. But, of course, when I came back from that second trip to Egypt, I definitely had something to write about. You also have a book out called um, Palladium Glyphs, the right. meditation. Where did that come yeah. from? Um, well, <laughs> Palladians, I'm, I'm assuming. Um, yeah, yeah it's, oh, so it's, it's interesting. Go ahead. It just flowed into you like as though you were receiving information from them? Yes, and actually that book came through, I mean really came through. Um, The Keeper of the Diary, under a different name, had been started actually in the late 80s. And um, the glyph book, as I call it, Meditative Magic, the Plating Glyph, I call it the glyph book, Um, those symbols and their meanings and how to use them actually sort of filtered down through me in about a two and a half year period. They are part of the story uh, of the Keeper of the Diary, um, but really it was a separate event because at that point the Keeper of the Diary was on the shelf. But they they just kind of, um, yeah, at first I wasn't really sure even what they were. I thought they were, since I'm an artist, that they were meant to be art pieces. They're mm-hmm. line drawings, they're geometric line drawings, and um, and they hold energy, they hold frequency, as, as geometry can do. 
Well, it's when I was uh, looking into your website and um, researching a little bit for this interview is when I came across that. It just fascinates me. I'm going to have to order it because it's just fascinating. Yes, yes. it is fascinating. Is it sacred geometry? Yes. Yes, it is. Um, But it was, um, you know, they just started to happen. And, And in the book it kind of explains a lot of the process. It's a short book and it has these removable cards um, that have the glyph, the image on the front. They're like eight by eight and a half inches or something. It's a it's an unusual book, the whole design of it. And then on the back, it tells, and this was completely channeled, on the back it kind of tells exactly like the meaning of the glyph and what it does for the user. And now that's something that when I look back at that, I really didn't write it. <laughs> I mean, I'd love to say I did, but I really didn't. <laughs> and I find it very, very profound. It's interesting you would bring it up because I, you know, haven't actively been doing anything on with that book. It, I mean, it's available uh, on the website um, and through Amazon, I think. Although there's been, I need to talk to them over there. Been some problems, but I just got an email. Yet the, the book was translated into German. And I just yesterday got an email from somebody in Austria whose wife had somehow just found the book and was writing me with a couple of questions, and it just so warmed my heart that you can create something, because that was 95 that came out, you know, it's still in print, but it was a long time ago, that that can be finding new people after all these years who get all excited about it and actively are using it and having questions about it. That was just was thrilling to me. I think maybe they chose you because you are an artist. And they chose me because they knew I would do it. <laughs> <laughs> I have this funny habit of saying yes, and then I go, oh, no, what did I get myself into? Do you think they have anything to do with crop circles? Or- well, I've thought about that because the book itself is like almost like an art piece. I did, I was, I was guided to actually, it's on this really beautiful paper, and I was guided to to scan, have some some images, scan behind the text, you know, softly behind the text, that actually hold frequency and energy it, that was tied into this particular series of glyphs, these these uh, uh, sixteen glyphs, and there were there were some of them were crop circles. So, you know, crop circles we could talk about for a long time. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I believe they're, they're both about grounding frequency, grounding energy, grounding patterns of energy that hold frequency or information that we need, like food. We need it at this time. You know, we, we have we have a, a journey ahead of us. Um, so really important time in our history as humans and we have some good choices to make and I think each and every one of us is being called upon to kind of, you know, stand tall and these glyphs in that book and the crop circles, all of this is about the energy, the frequency that we need to help us stand tall and make 
really good decisions with our life because, you know, the planet is being held in the balance. Well, so do you believe, I was gonna say, do you believe that Palladians uh, created the crop circles? Oh, I can't go that far. I, I couldn't say. Um, but I do obviously believe they're of an extraterrestrial origin, but I can't, I can't really comment on that. I know that they were the ones that, that um, or a group of them, where the, that the images for, for, you know, my particular set of glyphs, because they made that very apparent. I'm actually looking. I'm in my office right now, and I have large on the wall framed this one called Yitar, which is uh, Intention, the Cosmic Fire. And it's all these glyphs, what they do is they're geometric line drawings. I thought at the time, being an artist, that I was supposed to fill in with color. But as I started to do that, I realized they were losing their power because what they do as you look at them, meditate with them in an open, closed eye meditation, is that the, the lines move and shift and kind of go in and out very mesmerizing and it's the way they're actually speaking to us so it's interesting you're asking because i'm looking i have that one on my wall uh you know larger because it inspires me well it looks like it also brings balance to the body it does it brings balance to the body and it's it um brings a kind of freshness to the mind or to your outlook, just kind of I find myself sitting here and as I'm just quietly looking at it while we're talking, uh, there's this, it's like a breath of fresh air, something feel, I just feel more open, things look brighter as I look around the room after looking at the glyph for a little while, so it does do this, have this opening effect and balancing for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's time for them to... Um come out again, I mean, to be... I, I just have a feeling well, that they're really going to become popular right now. That, you know, it just they just might, because... And they're a part of the story of the Keeper of the Diary. So, you know, if somebody doesn't know about the glyphs or doesn't, you know, hasn't heard about them or found them in some other way, they'll sort of come across that in the story, because they play a part as I began to realize, they they play a part in the story. So that will be a way that people will uh, come to them, you know, sort of from a different angle. And they're around. I, I don't know whether we'll do another printing. It was a very expensive book to create. I don't know whether it will go at, I don't know how many how many we have left, you know, a few hundred. Um I don't know if we will end up going to to a uh, an ebook with it, you know, just going digital. We haven't really discussed that in depth, but I think you're right. I think it's a, it is. It was almost a sign to me yesterday when I heard from this couple in Austria. It so warmed my heart, and I thought, wow, way over there in Austria, with something I haven't even been focusing on because I've been so focused on you know the keeper that that. New people were waking up to it. It did seem like an omen to me. So I think you're on to something. Yeah, I think you're on to something. I think you're on to something. We were just talking about synchronicities before you came on, and I think this is an, a prime example. 
Cause you'll probably I think get, so, too. You'll probably get a third person. Yeah, when you'll I went to your website yesterday, that was definitely a post that I popped into that area. That and then your other book, Dolphins I Have Known series. Oh, yeah, are, that's not a book. That's an art show. I mean, it's an art uh, series. So I did start a book okay. about my dolphin experiences, but there's not a, a book isn't available, just the uh, art pieces. But the art pieces so you, are incredible. Yeah. Thank you. you. Yes, I spent time swimming with wild dolphins. Oh. And it's all connected. Because so the dolphins are all about energy. I'm sorry, go ahead. I get excited. You do photography and you paint on top of the photography? Is this how they are created? Uh, some of them, yes. I do black and white photographs. And then I I paint either with um, glazes of oil in a gel medium and I sometimes use mica and metallic powders. And others are done with these... Uh, photo dyes, and then I'm able, some of them are large, some of them are smaller, I'm able to have, I have a gentleman here in Santa Monica who is able to take in and make, um, you know, fine art prints from them, because some of the pictures can be very involved in time, and it was kind of sad to me to think I would paint one piece, and then that was it, nobody else could have one. So I'm able to do series of them, which is great. So you're talking about you looked at the earlier site, the, med- the uh, meditative magic site, if you were looking mm-hmm. at dolphins. Mm-hmm. Oh, good for you. <laughs> yeah. Yes, you have you have yeah. a couple of websites out there. I do. I actually have like three websites. One for my because I also do uh, what I call. It's life coaching, but taken to another level. So I call it life mentoring, uh, sacred journey life mentoring. So there's a sacred life mentoring, uh, you know, WWF site that talks about the work, the individual work I do with people and bring all of these things into play. And it's based on the idea that life is a sacred journey. And if we approach our day-to-day with that in mind, everything changes. Everything, the things that look like problems turn out to be, you know, as you would say, kind of synchronicities or um, opportunities. I like that word, opportunities. I'm big on that one. Um, It takes on a whole different thing instead of being like, oh, my gosh, I did something wrong and now bad things are are going to come about. Rather, it's like, wow, what does this actually mean? I did this or I thought this or had this encounter. Let's look at how that is propelling my life forward in a positive way. So all these things are tied in. Sorry, go ahead. It's like when you went to Los Angeles. You had something in mind quite different than what happened after you got there. So this is... It was a life changing for you, so everyone can experience yeah. this to some degree. Well, yeah, it's it's reframing, you know, um, because for sure when I moved to Los Angeles, heart set on you know expanding my career as a fashion photographer, and it just wasn't happening. I was pounding the pavements, and it just wasn't happening. The little jobs that I was getting either paid nothing and they weren't really what I wanted to be doing. But if 
and this is all, you know, sort of a part of the story of the keeper of the diary because Cassie goes through those things, the main character. And but if I hadn't moved here and things hadn't been going quote unquote wrong with my career, I would have never gone to Egypt. And if I hadn't gone to Egypt, all the things that I'm doing now, all the things, ways in which my life opened to new possibilities wouldn't have happened. So it was like by this thing happening that I thought was a mistake and even was upset with myself, like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have moved, how stupid my career was working well. Once I allowed sort of life just, like Cassie in the book, because I gave her my story, um, she gets propelled on to a whole different life journey and finding out her purpose in life because she made what she might have thought was her smaller part of her mind because she made a, quote, mistake. So I don't think there are any mistakes, you know? I think the, I think the word allow is very important here instead of pushing because sometimes we push towards something that we're not even supposed to be going towards. Well, we push for it because we have this fixed idea in our mind. And I think that's part of the biggest problems that we give ourselves because, some, you know, well-intentioned as we are, sometimes these ideas that we have with our mind, these, these things about the way life is supposed to be, it's, it's really not. <laughs> it's really not. So if we just, as you said, you know, allow ourselves to kind of be in the moment and see what's showing up, we might be very pleasantly surprised. Because Cassie spends the first part part of the book resisting everything that's going on. Fortunately, life just keeps at her, and she finally begins to surrender and see what, what, what the new thing that's happening is. Now, how did you meet the teacher that you eventually went to Egypt to be with oh, well, the first version one of the first versions of the book had this story in it. I'll try and make it as brief as I can. Um, gosh, okay. So life was not working for me. It uh, wasn't working out the way I wanted it to. Um, I have part of part of my family, my part of my mother's family is in South America. And there was a wedding coming up in Cartagena, Colombia, that my parents asked if I would like to go with them because they knew I was kind of depressed and, you know, life wasn't working, et cetera, et cetera. And I said yes, just because there was nothing really going on. And to make a long story short, they didn't end up going on the trip. A, a model that I had worked with had just come back from Machu Picchu. I had this idea that, that I would go on the trip anyway, be our family representative, and then go to Machu Picchu by myself. So I went to a travel agency to get some information on Machu Picchu, and um, I was sort of floored because my my wanting information on Peru ended up having her give me information on Egypt which I wasn't looking for, and I was kind of surprised, like, you know, a travel agent isn't supposed to change your plans. And then a couple of synchronicities happened, and I met this 
I got onto, I hadn't even met him beforehand, I got onto this trip with this teacher and by quote-unquote accident. It would be too long to tell you the story. And, of course, he, the person that he was, and he was an amazing storyteller. He was, we would go to these places in Egypt, and we had our, our tour guide there, you know, a, an Egyptian, uh, like, archaeological student from the University at Cairo, and we would go to the sites, and we would look at things, and he would tell us the history and all this information, and Paul, who was the teacher, would sort of be standing over to the side, and when the when our guide was finished, he would say, okay, now if you want to know the real story, and he would tell us these stories that would predate all the things that our student had just told us, and he would go into this depth, but as a storyteller, um, some people are just really good storytellers, and they can give you information in a story that, in a way that intrigues you. So let's just say it was a great synchronicity that I met Paul and that he had a very powerful effect on my life. <laughs> I don't want so to you were dying with it. No, no, go you ahead. were supposed to go to Machu Picchu, but ended up in Egypt. That's quite a story. Yeah, well, I was supposed to go to Cartagena, Colombia, to to my relative's wedding, and then I ended up in Egypt. <laughs> and what did your parents think about that? Um, well, they were surprised, but then when I told them we were going to Egypt, uh, you know, and um, Israel, uh, my parents. You know, I was brought up Jewish, so they got more excited about it because they thought it would be a very good idea for me to go to Israel, which wasn't even really the focus of the trip. And by the way, my main character, Cassie, in the book, is um, she's half Jewish and half Arab, and I did that for some very significant reasons. Well, I, I don't know what what it is, but I just got a chill. Uh. Oh, Good. <laughs> Good. <laughs> we know how important those are. <laughs> so does uh, your uh, teacher mentor that you went to Egypt with, uh, has he read, has he read the book? He's not on the planet anymore. Oh. He was passed. He, was he, able and he read a very rudimentary version, and... Um, Initially, this book was going to be dedicated to him because of his strong, you know, his memory, because of his strong influence on me. But I started working with an, it's a long story again, about how she came into my life, an editor who became such an important piece of how some things in this book went that I decided to dedicate the book to her. Again, going with the flow. Yes, yes, yes. But did he have any, I mean, when he just read maybe the outline or the sketch of it, did he have any comments to you about it? He loved it. He was just very excited that I was doing it. He said, see, I told you you were meant to be a writer. <laughs> so he was pleased. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> so your life has been full of synchronicities, and you've gone with the flow. So, I mean, everyone that reads your books, I'm going to put a plural, um, of get, has been given a gift from you that you listened and you allowed. 
Yeah, and you know, I know that because from my own experience, I know it's not always easy, and it seems like, well, you know, I didn't plan on, I planned on things going this way, and I, I it gets very confusing, it did for me, and I'm sure it does for everybody, when we're supposed to persevere and when we're not. And it's a, it's a very tricky little thing, and I think the only way you really know is by being as present as possible and, and, and at least being open to notice what's showing up in your life. Because, you know, we grow up with certain ideas or family ideas about who we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to get there. And I think it's a real challenge of growth to... And Cassie goes through this in the book. I mean, she's she's very much in resistance to even being in Egypt. Uh, she has a whole different plan for her life. She's a fashion photographer. She didn't want to be there. And, yeah, that is the gift for, or one of the gifts from that book and what I've been learning. Because, you know, those of us who are on this path and are learning things, it's all about sharing what we've learned, you know, because there's always somebody else who needs that little piece of information or encouragement. So, yes, I'd be very delighted <laughs> if I can pass that piece along. So, well, in your, it's definitely a sacred journey. <laughs> what's that? You know, what? it's definitely a sacred journey. And it's you definitely know, a sacred that, journey. But yeah. Are, are you um, still mentoring people? Yes, I am. And I have a site. It's, it's called um, sacredlifementoring.com. So that will tell people more information and give them a way to get a hold of me. Or they can just drop me an email at JudithDianaWinston at Gmail. So you, and uh, you do have a phone number. Do you, do you want to give it out? I do, 310-621-7366. Okay, great. Do you have another book? On the uh, horizon? Uh, no. <laughs> right now, I think it's going to be about me being out there to talk about this book. And there's been some movie interest, which I oh. would love to see this book be, because it is, it is such a movie. That's so what I, I thought I think right at least, away. Did you? Yes. Yeah. Yes. You know, because people have thought that. Go ahead. It's an adventure that really gives some insights. So, I mean, people could watch it and be involved and still learn something from it. So it would be a wonderful movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, somebody wrote a um, you know a thing on Amazon, a review on Amazon. I don't remember exactly what it said, but it said the book was a cross between J.K. Rowling's, but for an adult, um, you know, the Harry Potter authoress, and Dan Millman, who, you know, wrote all of his um, Peaceful Warrior, you know, that whole series, that it was sort of a combination between that kind of energy of of magic and excitement with sort of profound meaning to be gleaned underneath the adventure. Have you heard of Gate Communities? I have. Oh, I have. You should, you should take your book there because they're interested in that's, things like this. 
That's actually a good idea. Yes, I uh, I know who John is. We've spoken on the phone, but it was a, quite a while ago. Uh, not sure what they're up to right now, but I know what their intention is. So we're very aligned on that for sure. Well, they're going to have an event in February, so uh, I would say get in touch again and send your book over there. Oh, that's a good idea. I'll look them out, check them out on the internet. Thank you. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> another thing. I like that because we interviewed John last week, so it's another thing. Oh, you did. Yes. Oh wow. Yeah, well, he uh, definitely, you know, has a vision, and um, I would love to be a part of it for sure. So I will be in touch. Thank you. (laughs) Yes. So do you have a message for our listeners out there? As a mentor, if you could say something to all of them to, like, shift their path or make it faster, what would you tell them? Well, I think it would be, well, of course it's about the choice, you know, and really being being present so that you can even see there's a choice. And then going with the choice that sort of has the highest good for all, whatever that means, as the particular situations come up, you know, because sometimes we can get very bogged down. And with this idea that the choices we make, literally, as single individual human beings, is what is going to change the collective on the planet. Um, I believe that really strongly. And that seeing that each one of us, you know, because we get bogged down in our our personal lives, our family issues, career issues, whatever it is, And we think that it's just about us. And really, if you hold this image of this higher collective that each one of us is a part of, that means that every single choice that we make has the possibility of moving the collective forward. So I would say go for the highest choice. Go for the choice. Go for the evolutionary choice. Go for the choice that will help you evolve as an individual because that's what's going to move the collective forward and we so need it right now. And I'm sure that there's going to be a major shift at 1221 when all these great souls get together and um, do whatever they're going to do on 1221. It's going to, I, yes. I really believe it's going to create a big shift. I believe it will too, you know, because it's all about consciousness. That's 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 what we're on the brink of is a consciousness shift, and that's what we that's what we need to move forward. We can't, you know, they say you can't address the problems from the level at which they were created. So we need to up level the conversation. And I think, are you talking about specifically the folks who have at the shift movement and what they've been doing? Well, I'm thinking about I that. Mean, the shift movement is one, you know segment there's people from all over the world doing something very similar right so it's groups like the shift and the shift movement Mm -hmm. has done such a beautiful outreach to bring so many people with all their free you know lectures and things so yeah i think you know it's when enough hearts and minds are focused on the right place but i also want to emphasize 
not to get so stuck on a date. We are in the shift very powerfully right now, so don't wait to, to create something happening in consciousness until the 21st because we're, we're already in that shift, and everything we do on a daily basis is a part of it right now. And it's a very powerful time right now. I mean, it's, it feels as though whatever we do as an individual is is more important now than ever. Of course, we could have said that a year ago, but I mean, to me, it, we all need to be on the same ship. But yeah, as and, individuals, and, and, and we, we get on that shift by making the choice to be on that ship. You know, so be, by yeah. by deciding to be part of the change, a part of a part of the shift. It's a, just a personal decision. Well, we want to thank you for being with us today. Let's give out your websites. <laughs> you have okay. The, so, the, the, web, the website is the Keeper of the Diary. Go ahead. It's the Keeper of the Diary book, since we're in, imagining a movie. The Keeper of the Diary book dot com. Then there's meditativemagic.com and uh, sacredlifementoring.com. And artwork can be seen, you know, I could give you another, but I'm not going to. It'll take you into the back door of the Meditative Magic site where there's some of the dolphin work and sacred site work. And then the sacred site work is also on the, uh, the Keeper of the Diary book.com. So I'll just say those once more since it's a lot of websites. It's the keeper of the diary book dot com with the W's of course. Meditativemagic dot com and sacredlifementoring.com. dot com. And there's it's also been really fun to Judith, be with Yeah, go ahead. Judith Diana Winston dot com. Well yeah, ever- that's 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 kind of a back door into the Glyph site. <laughs> It's, it's a yeah. I do have a lot of websites. <laughs> well, we want everyone to know out there that we've been talking to Judith Diana Winston today. So we thank you for being yes. with us. Thank you, yes. guys, you gals, so much. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. For I think you're doing a great thing here. Sorry. Thank you for all of the awesome and outstanding work you've put forth on on everything. Um, we, it's just beautiful. People really need to go to your websites and check them out. And um, thank you. It's been a real pleasure interviewing with you today. Thank you so and much. Pleasure is good mine. Luck on, good luck on your movie. <laughs> thank you. Hold the light on that one. Yes. <laughs> Please. Have a great Great. Day. Thank yeah. you. You too. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.